0: Turn with me to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. This is a long story. This is a major story. I'm serious. This is, this is one of those stories that uh, we should know. We should dwell on. We should think about. And uh, I'm excited about. So, uh, But it, it is a long story in, in the scripture. So we're going to go from uh, verses 1 through 30. Uh, and then we are going to um, jump to after thirty verses 39 through 42. And that's just for expediency of what we're going to be talking about this morning. Um, If if you were with us last year, and and, and Brother uh, Matt Hastings uh, did our revival, he he spent all three nights uh, on this uh, passage. Um, So um, if you remember that well, then you'll be right at home here. John chapter 4, starting verse 1. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard Jesus is making, disciple, making and baptizing more disciples than John, although it was not Jesus himself, but his disciples who baptized. He left Judea and started back to Galilee, but he had to go through Samaria to do so. So he came to a Samarian city called Sakkar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there Jews did not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, "'If you knew the gift of God and who it is "'that is saying to you, give me a drink,' "'you would have asked him, "'and he would have given you living water.'" The woman said to him, "'Sir, you have no bucket and the well is deep. "'Where do you get that living water? "'Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob "'who gave us this well?' And whose sons and his flocks drank from it. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. "'The woman said to him, "'Sir, give me this water "'so that I may never be thirsty "'or have to keep coming here to draw water.'" "'Jesus said to her, "'Go, call your husband and come back.'" "'The woman answered him, "'I have no husband.'" "'Jesus said to her, "'You are right in saying, "'I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, "'and the one you have now is not your husband. "'What you have said is true.'" And the woman said to him, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for the salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming And is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship Him. God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to Him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ, When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. And Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. Just then the disciples came and they were astonished that he was speaking with a woman. But no one said, what do you want? Or why are you speaking to her? Then the woman left her her jar water jar and went back to the city and she said to the people come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done he cannot be the messiah can he and they left the city and were on their way to meet him many samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony he told me everything I have ever done So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there for two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard ourselves, and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be be to God. All right, I, I told you I'm really excited about this, so hang with me, Dennis. I'm, I'm going to be going in 90 miles a minute. And this is a big story, and there's kind of a lot of, a lot of background that we kind of have to understand. Not a lot. We've gone over most of this, um, but there's just some background that you need to know about how to understand this story. And the first one is kind of the type of encounter we have right here. Have you ever watched a movie? Speaking of living water, I need a little water for my throat this morning. Excuse me. Have you ever watched a movie uh, and you just know uh, because how the scene was set up or what started happening, you, you know what to expect? Like if you're watching a Western movie and a guy barges in, you know, the saloon doors, they swing open, he stands there looking around, you know, probably a fight is about to break out, right? He's going to get in trouble with somebody, they're going to get in fisticuffs, and it's going to go. You just kind of know to expect that. If you're watching a romantic comedy, Bobby and that, is that your romantic comedies? You know, yeah, you're, I'm teasing. I, I better be careful this morning. It's just us. You, if you're watching a romantic comedy and two people are, have their arms full in the grocery store and they bump into each other and it spills all over the floor, guess what? They're probably going to fall in love, right? We, we just know that, right? Well, this, this encounter is that type of scene. You may say, well, what do you mean? Meeting at a well is the romantic comedy version in the Bible of meeting a spouse, of a man finding a woman. You don't believe me? If you think back in Scripture, and you think there's three major examples of this. When Isaac, uh, he goes and he's looking for a wife, and his servant goes to where? The well and finds Rebecca. I didn't find Rebecca at a well, but we, we were around some water. Boy, I'm on. I'm on point this morning. I'm really. I'm excited. I know. Uh, so you got Isaac. You got Isaac met uh, his servant met his wife at a well, right? Jacob, where did Jacob meet Rachel? At a well. Where does Moses find his wife? Moses goes to a well and meets his wife. This was a well-known. If you were a Jew in the first century and you're reading a story, if you're hearing about a man goes to a well, you immediately think, oh boy, here we go. He's about to meet his wife. He's about to meet that significant other. So Jesus goes to a well. He's sitting there by noon. But also, if you're a first century Jewish person and you're reading this story and you find out a Samaritan woman is coming to meet Jesus at that well, you say, hold the phone, stop right there, no way. Most of us, we've talked about this, but just in case you've forgotten, a little refresher. Why was that such a big deal? Why was there such a division? Samaritans, they were hated. This was a rivalry that went back hundreds and hundreds of years. And it's important that we understand how deep this went. There was a lot of components to why uh, Jews from Judea and the southern portion, they really despised the Samaritans. It goes back to the split of the kingdom we've talked about, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And the northern kingdom, it fell earlier. It fell in 722 BC for you Bible nerds out there. It, It fell, and what Assyria did when they took over the northern kingdom, they brought foreigners in and they settled them in the land. So Samaritans, those northerners, we are in the South, they thought they were, honestly, a mixed breed. It was a racial component to it. They thought they were inferior because they they had intermarried with foreigners and that they were just, they were Samaritans. They were mixed breeds up there. Also, there was a religious component to it. Uh, The Samaritans, over the split and uh, the time that went on, uh, they actually, they only considered the Bible the first five books of the Bible, what we call the Pentateuch. Uh, they only had in the first five books of the Bible, and that's why Jesus references you worship what you don't know, because he's referencing that they don't have the complete scriptures that the Jews had, so they had an incomplete picture of God, right? So there was a religious component. There were religious differences. The Samaritans were expecting, we're going to see this later, they were expecting a Messiah, but they thought the Messiah was only to come really and be a teacher and a proclaimer and to explain everything, Right? Um, and, and so there are big religious differences, but that, that grew, and you say, well, they're pretty similar. Well, we do the same thing, right, in our world today. Uh, you think about the Protestants and the Catholics in Ireland hated, and, and a non-Christian would say, boy, you guys are just two different denominations of the same faith, and there's so much hate there because sometimes the close cousins of one another hates each other the most. It got so, it was violent, and this was a violent conflict between Sumerians and, uh, Samaritans and Jewish people. And in fact, it, it got to the point of almost really religious terrorism. Uh, at one point, Samaritans came down to the temple and they took human bones and they threw them into the temple uh, to, uh, to de- de- uh, sanctify it, uh, basically, to, to make it unclean so they couldn't worship there, right? Um, because one of the major divisions, we're gonna see this, is uh, Samaritans had their own side of worship and the Jews said you had to worship in the temple. And so we can already think of John chapter four when Jesus cleanses the temple and he redefines what the temple is. So that was one of the major arguments. So the, the Samaritans, they were hated. And then we see that in the scripture that she says, what are you doing talking to me, a Samaritan woman? Because also there's two rules that we don't operate by today, but that were present here that Jesus is up against too. That if this happens, what do you expect if you're a Jewish person, person reading this encounter? You expect Jesus to sit there stone silent and ignore her. Because the first rule was that a Jewish man did not initiate conversation with an unknown woman. You don't know who she is. You don't know if she's clean or unclean or or what her heritage is. So you just did not, that's rule number one, you did not initiate conversation with an unknown woman. Even more so than that, if you were a Jewish teacher or rabbi, you never actually had a public conversation with a woman you were out in public, a Jewish teacher rabbi would never have a conversation with a, a woman out in public. And the second rule is, and we see this references, is that Jews and Samaritans just didn't converse, they didn't have any interactions in public. So there's two hard and fast rules that you're looking at if you're a Jewish first century person reading this story, and immediately, obviously, Jesus breaks them. Jesus comes to her and says, hey, give me a drink of water. We can start to understand why the disciples were so very uncomfortable. They weren't brave enough to say anything, but they said, Jesus, what are you doing? Jesus knew what he was doing, friends. Jesus comes through and says, hey, uh, give me a drink of water. And uh, she's shocked by the encounter, and she says, what are you doing? You're not supposed to be talking to me. Uh, And he said, hey, hey, if you knew who it was that was talking to you, you'd be asking me for what? Living water. She doesn't understand this example. And kind of like chapter three, when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, we're going to get back to that a little bit later, uh, when he's talking to Nicodemus, this is a metaphor for God's salvation in Jesus that she's just not getting. Uh, She's like, hey, I'd love living water that I never had to drink again. Give me some of that water. But it's a beautiful image and metaphor for what? God's salvation does in us. It is an illustration of the very necessity of life. You can go a while without food. You cannot go without water. That Christ and what he does in our lives as he gives us water, fresh living water. The the Greek right there, it references a running water and a water that gives life. And it's beautiful what he says is that I would give you water that would bubble up in your soul, like a spring that would bubble up to eternal life. That what God does is, is not, not that He just secures our spot in heaven and lets us run away, but that God transforms us here and now. Think about born again. He transforms us here and now, and He gives us living water now that eventually bubbles up to eternal life. It's a beautiful image of what God's salvation does to us. But she doesn't get it, she struggles. Uh, you know, she says, "Hey, I would love this water, but you don't have a bucket. Uh, this well's deep." And uh, but you know, look, hey, if you can get it to me, I'll take it. Uh, I'm sold, right? She's she's on a different plane. And so Jesus, he he changes tact a little bit here, right? In verse 16, he says, "Okay, okay, go get your husband, and come back, and I'll get you this water." Then he he hits a sore spot. He knows what he's doing here. Verse 16, go get your husband, uh, come back in. And she says, uh, you know, I, I have no husband. And Jesus says, you're right in what you said. You've actually had five husbands, and the man you're living with now is not your husband. We, we need to take a step back. here because I know you've probably heard this preached a number of times. And we've looked at this, and we really kind of just, and it, it's not no one's trying to do anything bad here, but what we're doing is taking kind of our customs and placing them on the text, and it's inappropriate to do so. So we have to read it as what was going on in the text. Notice, I'm just going to say, this is not referencing that this woman is a sinner at all. Okay? We read that onto the text by our living, if we think about couples shacking up, you know, prolonged adolescence. That's actually not what's going on here, and I'll explain why uh, here in a second. But notice, when Jesus does encounter sinners he forgives them and he says go and sin no more we don't hear any mention of sin we don't see that she's either offended or repentant at all in fact when she says she says oh you're right and uh, you're a prophet sir i can see that so what's going on if this isn't about sin what's going on here think about it women in this time period they didn't have hardly any power in society, right? And we just saw that through that men couldn't even really talk to them in public. They had no power to divorce. A woman could not write a bill of divorce from her husband. In fact, Jesus would talk about this, that Moses' law says that a man could write a slip of divorce for a woman anytime he wanted to. So even if we were talking about sin, this woman has no control over who her husband is. This isn't today's culture where you just go online and a woman has just as much say as a man. And believe me, that. That's the way things should be. But that was not this time period. So even if this was a, a relationship she should not have been in, she has no say. Do we understand that? She couldn't go up to her husband and say, I'm done with you. I'm going on the next guy." She has no power to do that. Right? But we're clear on that. What's probably happening here is that men have either been divorcing her or, or her husbands have been dying. Okay? And here's probably the real problem in it. And you say, is she just mean or or what's going on? Probably she's barren. Now, again, that's not in the text. So we're, we're trying to understand what this marriage situation is. She's probably barren. And so men are probably divorcing her because they want kids. And or if her husbands have been dying, again, she can't get out of marriages. That's not up to her. If they've been dying, then the man she would be with is probably refusing to marry her for a number of reasons, maybe. We don't know what that is. But if she's barren, that makes sense that he doesn't want to marry her even though it's his Levitical duty to marry in the family. If he's the last male in the family and it's brother or his cousin's wife, that it's his job to take care of her. And so what you're actually reading about here in this woman, whatever the case, the particulars are, is that she's been a victim of a patriarchal society that she hasn't been able to find anybody, a family, to take care of her. That she's just been kicked down the road, either by death or men that don't want her, and that now no one will marry her, right? Probably she's just, the man she's with now is probably uh, supporting her. And this is why we, Scripture talks about supporting widows. It's not just the elderly. A woman at any point, if she doesn't have a son, so if she, didn't have, she doesn't have any children, apparently, if she doesn't have a son or a husband to take care of her, she is without possibility of getting any income, right? So we're clear on this. Like This was not a decision that she could make, It was all up to the men in her life. And so she has suffered that she does not have a husband. And we should be thinking, is she meeting more than a husband at the well? Do you see that? Because the deep need that she has in her life, that she has fallen through the cracks and she cannot find someone to give her life. And that the man that she's with now, probably just living in his home, or a family relative that simply refuses to marry her. So Jesus doesn't have any condemnation. What he's doing here, you say, Pastor, then why does he even bring it up? Why is he saying this? He's saying this because he's giving her a miracle of insight. He's showing her this conversation about, I'm the Messiah. She's showing her, she's giving proof that he is the Messiah, that he is God, and that he can see into her life without her telling her any of it. Do you, I mean, do you see how this makes sense? Because later in the story, what we're going to look at is that's the reason she said, Hey, this guy told me everything about my life. He knew me. She wasn't upset about it all. She was saying that this man is the Messiah. He showed me a miracle. Much like if you remember when Nathaniel, when Christ comes to Nathaniel and he says, Hey, I saw you under that fig tree. And Nathaniel says, Whoa, okay. I know there's something here that God is up to something. That's exactly what he is doing here for the woman. He is showing a miracle of insight into her life to reveal himself as the Messiah. And so that's how she responds. She says, man, I can see you're a prophet. You just saw into my life without knowing me at all. And then the conversation maybe to us turns a little weird, but it really makes sense if you think about it. Uh, So she realizes that she doesn't recognize him as the Messiah yet, but she realizes this is a man of God who has divine insight. And that's why if you're speaking to a prophet, then you're going to bring up what is the big dilemma, right? What is your big religious question? What is is your problem with faith? And that's what she does here. She says, hey, Jesus, uh, okay, you're a Jew, and uh, everyone says we need to worship at the temple, and we Samaritans, we worship here on this mountain, and uh, what do we make of that? She's standing before a man of God, and that's why she brings that up. But this, again, affords Jesus an opportunity to say, one, he identifies as a Jew. He says salvation comes from a Jew. But it it gives him an opportunity now to say there's something new happening. The hour is coming, and don't miss it. The hour is here. It has come when it doesn't matter where you worship. It doesn't matter about which temple you're in. It does not matter about these man-made systems that have corrupted worship, that have, that have changed worship and brought worship. God is looking for worshipers who do what? Worship Him in spirit and in truth, who come to God out of love to worship Him. The hour is coming when all of His old religious systems that keep us far away from God are getting broken down because the kingdom of God is breaking in. It is something radically Knew. And Jesus shares that with her. And, and she kind of says, Fine, well. And she says, Well, but when the Messiah gets here, he's going to explain it all. And that really references the Samaritans. We're really looking for a Messiah just to explain everything, to give them kind of an, a, a complete understanding of God. But Jesus tells her, Once again, to this Samaritan woman who has one of the longest conversations in all of Scripture. Jesus gives her the first I am statement in all of the Gospel of John. He's not just saying, I am he. He's saying, I am the one you're looking for. I am that I am. I am God in the flesh. I am he, the Messiah, who is bringing in the kingdom of God. You have just met him. It's a powerful statement. An unnamed Samaritan woman gets the first true declaration of Christ's confession that I am he. And then we see the disciples come up and they're disgusted. They're revolted. What are you doing, Jesus? Why are you talking to her? You shouldn't be doing that. But they're too scared to say anything, so they just keep their mouths shut. But before they know it, the woman, she's run off. In fact, she left her jar that's significant. She she realized that she's not there just for physical water anymore. She's left her jar, and she's run back to her town. To do what? To hide and seek? No, to tell everybody else. Come and see, she says. There's a man. He told me everything about my life. He knew my pain and my struggle. He saw into my very soul. Can he be the Messiah? And what we find is that this Samaritan woman, this, this woman who's despised and forgotten by society, she becomes the best and truest evangelist for the gospel, better than the disciples, better than all that we've seen before. She goes and she gets a whole city. Yeah, the Jews may say, oh, just the Samaritans. The Samaritans came to faith. Why? Because the kingdom of God is here and it doesn't matter who you are or where you live from. You come to Christ, is by this testimony of this woman. And what did she say? She just said, come and see. Come and see my experience. Come and experience Jesus. You remember just a few weeks ago, that is the discipleship call of the gospel. We don't have to convince people. We don't have to argue with people. Just come and see. See what he's done in my life. Come and experience Jesus for yourself. And that's exactly what they say. When they finally come to Jesus and say, hey, we're not believing now just because of what she said. We're believing because we've seen it for ourselves. We've experienced Jesus for ourselves. And now we believe. And they even say, Jesus, stay with us. Abide with us. And Jesus did for two days. Oh, man. This, this story, it can't get deeper. It can't get more beautiful there, there's just a few takeaways I want to share with us this morning. Uh, we, we could be here all morning, and, and I won't do that to us. Uh, but there's three takeaways I want us to not miss in the Scripture this morning. And there's much more here, and I hope you dwell on the Scripture. The first I, I want us to see has to do with this kind of type scene. We, we go back to where we started from. That the well is where you meet your spouse. And here we have a woman that has been abused and forgotten by society. She's fallen through the cracks. And really, what a lot of people would tell her is just, boy, if you could just get a husband, right? If you could just work things out, if you could finally find a husband, you'd be fine. But that's not what she needed, ultimately. What she needed wasn't just water. When she goes to the well, she finds the true living water She finds more than a husband. And the husband and marriage illustration for our lives of faith with Christ is biblical. It is what Paul tells us, that we become the bride of Christ. And in one sense, she does find a husband. She finds the fulfillment of her life. What we should not miss is here, no matter who we are, where we're from, we are called to have an intimate, deep, fulfilling relationship with Jesus Christ that we are called not to look at anything else in the world to fulfill us. Everything else is going to fail us. The one thing that completes this woman's life is not just another husband. She's already had five, and they've all failed her or kicked her out. What she needs is an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, to know him in a personal and powerful way and to follow him the rest of her life, and that's what she receives. Do you know that about your life? I think we can even forget as christians we can start to believe that man all i really need is a bigger paycheck boy if i just had that that'd fulfill me boy if i could just to use her example if i could just find that spouse that would really love me if i could just and the good news is is a lot of those things are outside of our control and outside of our power and the good news is that they really won't fulfill us but for all of us there is something available to us in a relationship with Jesus Christ that will fulfill us, that will be living water, the very necessity of our lives if we will just depend and trust in Him. Amen? What we see in the woman at the well that she does kind of meet her husband. She finds the fulfillment that she has been looking for all of her life in Jesus Christ. And as you go through your Christian journey You're going to be tempted to try to find your fulfillment, to find earthly water, if you carry on that metaphor. But if you keep returning to Christ as your source of life, it will bubble up to eternal life. Amen? And that's what God's work in us does through Jesus Christ. So Jesus, just like we need to identify with this woman to say, that too is our relationship, our core foundational relationship that all of us need, just like she needed. A second takeaway I I think is so important in this uh, scripture. We we see it all throughout, but this is a beautiful illustration of it. That Jesus' proclamation is that the kingdom is coming and is in fact here in what I am doing. That Jesus, as the Messiah, in fact, does bring in the kingdom of God to earth in a real and practical way. That Jesus' message wasn't just, oh, just wait a little bit longer, it's coming. Jesus' message is, if I'm here and I'm the Messiah, it is present in what I am doing. And that is new, that is radical, and that changes everything. Do you see how that changes things in the story here? Not only does it change the place of worship, which it radically does, that all of our religious systems now are changed. That God isn't about just a certain group of people, Amen. Because we wouldn't be included if it was just Jews. We're all Gentiles sitting here this morning. We wouldn't be included. But because Christ came and the kingdom of God is here, that God is looking for every man, woman, and child to join in His kingdom. That it doesn't matter geographic location. That you can't come worship in Jerusalem this morning, Amen. That we can worship God in spirit and in truth right here in Asheville, North Carolina. That we don't have to have a mega church. We don't have to have 50,000 people here to worship God. That God is looking for people. Do you hear me this morning? I know the problem is is we just kind of grow so accustomed to it. We grow up in this and we forget that God's kingdom is something new and powerful and real. Sometimes we can be tempted to say, Well, we're just waiting until we get beyond this world. And we forget that we get to experience a foretaste of the kingdom now. Yeah, it's not here in its fullness. That's clear. We're still battling cancer. We're still fighting divorce. We're still fighting the pains of the... But the kingdom of God is already present in this world and we are a part of it. You say, Andrew, it's kind of hard to see sometimes. I know. You remember that conversation with Nicodemus? That being born again was all about how you can see The kingdom of God. Because the world doesn't see it. They see right through it. All they can see is the kingdoms of this world. All they can see is the flags and the guns and the armaments of this world. But we know that there is a power greater than the kingdoms of this world. Amen? That there is a kingdom present that Jesus Christ brings. And that if we are born again, if we come to Christ, that we are a part of. And that is our kingdom. But it changes everything. Because it changes even how Jesus relates to this woman. Because by the old system and the old kingdoms of this world, Jesus shouldn't be talking to her. Jesus doesn't know who she is. kingdom of God breaks down the divisions of this world. What did Paul say? There's neither Jew nor Gentile, male nor female, slave nor free. And this story is a beautiful example of that. That Jesus comes to a woman that he should never be talking to. He's breaking all the rules. He's not breaking the rules of what? The kingdom of God. He's in the kingdom. This despised, forgotten, Samaritan woman is just as worthy as any Jewish man to be speaking to the Messiah. That we cannot be in the kingdom of God and continue the old lines of division. That this world and its kingdoms will always try to divide us, to say they're out and we're in. But God's kingdom says everybody can come in But to be in this kingdom, you have to erase all those lines of division. We are all equal at the foot of the cross. No matter where you're from, if you're from the wrong side of the mountain, if you're on the wrong side of the world, you belong in the kingdom of God. You know, there's only two types of people in the world for us as Christians. There are either brothers and sisters of Christ, or there are people that God desperately loves and wants to enter that kingdom and so both of those we have to treat with the utmost respect and love because either they are already in the kingdom or god desires them to be in the kingdom do you see that that has to be our vision for the world it has to be our vision of the kingdom of god or else we are tempted at living in another kingdom all right told you i was fired up this morning i a very good. drink of water on this third point Third, and we can't miss this uh, because we have to read, you know, we don't read the gospel stories just by themselves. You can't help but notice uh, in chapter 4 that it's a direct comparison of chapter 3. In the story we looked at last week in Nicodemus, Uh, There, there is some strong similarities and there's some strong differences that we should see. Nicodemus was a man. Men were afforded the power in this society. He was not only a man, Nicodemus was a Jewish leader, we are told. He is a Pharisee. He is uh, the religious leader of the day. He should know these things. Uh, He was in power. Everything was working out for him. The world was his oyster. He was a man of faith. And we find out Nicodemus' name, Nicodemus. And yet, you compare it to chapter 4, we never learn her name do we? Just a Samaritan woman. The world's not working out for her. She doesn't have much power. She's not respected. Nicodemus comes to Jesus. He recognizes something's going on. He comes to Jesus by what? Cover of night. He's a little worried about people seeing that he might be talking to Jesus. Here in chapter four, people are worried that Jesus is talking to this woman. She talks to him in broad daylight, right? At the core of these stories, there is a beautiful and deep and rich spiritual image and metaphor for what Jesus' salvation does to us, being born again and living water. And in both of these stories, the person is confused. They struggle to get it, right? Nicodemus says, boy, how how can someone be born again? What are you talking about, Jesus? And in chapter 4, she's like, what are you talking about, living water? I'll take living water. Give me that water. I don't want to drink it again. Do you see the similarities and yet the comparisons? here's my third takeaway. This is kind of scandalous for if you were a a Jewish person reading in the first century, hearing this story. That what John wants us to see, John wants us to imitate and be like this Samaritan woman and not Nicodemus. What's the last thing that Nicodemus said to Jesus? How can these things be? He was struggling. We we all struggle. I'm not trying to Down on Nicodemus. He came to Christ in some faith. And the last thing that Jesus said to Nicodemus was, Are you a teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? And that's the last we hear of Nicodemus. We're not sure what he does with the gospel. I sure hope he he came to a place of faith in Jesus Christ, but we're not sure. But go to chapter 4. Here's this woman that's the complete opposite of Nicodemus. And what does she do when that she hears the gospel, that she meets Jesus? She runs back to her town, and she can't wait to tell everybody, come and see. Scandalous thing I'm telling you this morning that Scripture wants us to hear, that God wants us to hear. He wants us to be like this Samaritan woman that we model our lives of faith after her, that she did not let anything impede her her entering into the kingdom of God and spreading the good news around her, right? And I know that's not shocking to us, but this is a story that only makes sense if you understand that Jesus brought in the kingdom of God, that we would be called to, to follow the example of this Samaritan woman that we are called in our joy. You know, you don't have to be a great wordsmith. You don't you don't have to even be good at talking to people. Just let them see the gospel working through you. Share with them, hey, come and see. Come and see. Hopefully they see the gospel in you. But we should have the joy to follow the Samaritan woman to go, come and see with this man. You know, it helps if you are living in a Samaritan village where people don't pay much attention to you when you're looked down and hear the Messiah comes to your town, maybe that's the people we need to go to. Come and see. Yeah, you're forgotten. Things aren't working out too well for you, but come and see. We don't have to, we don't have to convince them. We don't have to throw guilt on them. We don't have to demean them. In fact, don't do that. They won't come and see then. They don't want to hear that. But they do want to come and see the true fulfillment of their life. They want to see the God who desires and loves them beyond all recognition. So my third point this morning is would we dare to follow the example of the woman who has been married five times and doesn't have a husband now to the woman who worships on the wrong mountain that Jesus shouldn't even be talking to? Would we dare Follow her example and trust and believe and be willing to share the good news with those around us. My friends, the hour is coming and it is in fact here. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that uh, we would be humble enough this morning to hear a word from you that we would be patient enough to experience your presence and that you would dig out our ears so that we may hear and see what this kingdom looks like, what it means to be followers of Jesus Christ, what the living water means to us in our lives. So in these moments as we pray and we respond to your word, would you be with us? In Christ's name we pray. As uh, we prepare our hearts for communion and, and time of prayer, I just invite you uh, to pray and reflect and listen to what God may be speaking to you this morning. Maybe he, he wants to just speak to you about the living water, about your fulfillment, about your relationship with Christ. Is it the foundation of your life? Are you finding fulfillment in Christ? We say, Pastor, I've, I've been struggling lately. That's fair. Some of us struggle. We will have periods of struggle in faith. But I would encourage you to, this morning to pray about don't look for fulfillment in anything else. If you've been distracted, come back to Christ. Find your peace and your trust in the foundation of your life in Him. Give everything to Him and see what happens. Come and see. Maybe God will speak to us about how where our Samaritan village is, where we can go running and say, hey, come and see. Come and see what God's done for me. But the core of what we do during this time is that we come and we drink from that living spring. We partake of the grace of God in the bread and the cup, and we receive the grace that builds over time in our life. Grace upon grace upon grace. And friends, if you drink of this cup, eat of this bread, give your life over to Christ, I promise you it will spring up into a, a spring of everlasting life. So come when you're ready. We're gonna do a little different. We're a little smaller in number. So we'll just come down the middle aisle. I'll, I'll serve us. and cherish this opportunity to serve you. And take a time of prayer. I invite you, you, know, you don't have to rush down the middle aisle. Take time of prayer before you come down. Pray at an altar after you partake. The hour has come. The kingdom is present. And Christ is inviting us to it. It can be the fulfillment of your life if you turn down. On the night our Lord was betrayed, he took bread. After breaking it, he said, this is my body. Broken for you. Take, eat in remembrance of me. The same way he took the cup. He said, This is the cup of the new covenant. This is my blood shed for you. Take, drink, whatever you do, in remembrance of me. Come when you are ready. Come and see. Let's continue in a time of prayer. Heavenly Father, I am overcome by your grace that just like the woman in this story, we who are not worthy, we who struggle to find self-worth or fulfillment in this world, those of us who may not be the right gender might may not be the right uh, social class, may not have the right education. That you come to us out of love, and you gave your life for us. You invite us to be your co-heirs in the kingdom. You give us a place in your home. And you are willing to become the foundation of our very lives. There can never be enough gratitude, enough joy, enough praise, but you accept us even still. and I thank you for that. We come to you this evening, I mean this morning, out of pure joy and gratitude for that fact. And we pray that we would never take this for granted, that we would not uh, become old hat with your grace that this just wouldn't be routine, that we wouldn't just go on with our lives as normal, but that your kingdom would be the central fact of our lives, that following Christ, that you would be Savior and Lord in everything that we do, everything we see, we see your grace and your love. When we walk out of these doors, that we wouldn't leave you behind, but that your grace would follow us. That on Monday and Tuesday, at home washing the dishes, that at work, in our frustrations, even driving down the road, that your love would consume us, that we would be sanctified entirely to be your children. So Lord, speak to us now. Don't let us go from this place without knowing that you are our foundation, that we are living with both feet in your kingdom, that you are the only thing we trust. We lift up those who are struggling today. Those who are mourning the loss of a loved one. We think of uh, Allie and her family just losing their brother, Lord. Would you give them comfort and peace in this loss? We lift up uh, Brother Richard Banks, who uh, we thank you for the good report from his surgery, Lord, but he still has a long road to go, we know. So we lift him up and ask that your strength your healing touch would be upon him. Would you give him encouragement? What a long road he has been on, Lord. We know that you are carrying him along the way. We pray that you would, he would feel that today. That he would find joy even in the suffering. Lord, would you be with those uh, family members with cancer? And we think of uh, Dale and, and Becky's brother-in-law, Lord. As he's at the last stage of his life, would you bring comfort and peace and a love into their home and into their family during this time. May they know your love, even in the shadow of death. Would you be with those who are battling flus this morning and the, the flu epidemic, Lord? Would you uh, help us to overcome that as a, a, as a world, as a, as a nation, and as a people here this morning? Pray for those who are suffering from it. Be with those who are carrying a heavy burden. Maybe it's an unspoken burden, Lord, those who may have family strife, may not know where the next paycheck is coming from, and may not know what six months down the road holds and it maybe looks scary for them, Lord. May you remind them that they have, though, something this world can never take away, and that is living water in you. May we find trust that you will fulfill our needs and that we can walk in joy and peace even amidst the storm. Would you be with us as a church as we look around and we look at our own village and we want to be the people that say, come and see what Christ has done for us. May we do that well. May you bless our ministries. May you spark our imagination, see how we can do it more effectively how we can love our neighbors as ourselves in real and practical ways, Lord, how we can make the kingdom visible and tangible in this neighborhood. So be with the preschool ministry, Lord, be with the food pantry ministry this Saturday, be be with the recovery groups that meet here, Lord. May, May we be a blessing, but also a witness to the living water that is available to all. Lord, we thank you for our church leadership and the church in the Nazarene. Be with Greg Mason in his, in his direction of us. Uh, bless him for his ministry. Be with those uh, missionaries and Christians around the world who are suffering today. Suffering uh, perhaps just uh, because they live in uh, dire poverty. Suffering because maybe uh, for the proclamation of the gospel in their land, Lord, would you be with them and touch them, we ask. Would you be with uh, our local leaders, Lord. May you be with our state leaders and our national leaders. May you give us uh, them wisdom and grace to carry out their duties, and may we be a nation that treats others rightly with justice and peace. May you be with this world whom you love so much, all peoples and all nations. May you work for the peace and the furtherment of your kingdom, we ask, Lord. May we be a part of it. Help us to pray that prayer that your son taught us to pray, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Church family, would you stand with me? It has been good to worship with you this morning. Receive this benediction as we depart from here. May you never take for granted the living water. May you cherish it. May you hold it dear. May it be the foundation of your life. And may you be the people like the Samaritan woman who simply say, come and see what the Savior has done.